Guru Nation, welcome to episode 410 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I'm interviewing site owner Judy Galindo, director and owner of Sun Valley Research in Imperial County, California. We talk a lot about what it's like being a site owner, how she went from study coordinator to site ownership. We also get into some more recent topics like coronavirus and how she's dealing with monitoring visits and patient visits in the midst of a pandemic. We talk about expanding, we talk a little bit about virtual trials, and it's just a good all around uh, informative, I hope, interview for not just site owners, but anyone who's looking to uh, gain some insights into how sites work. So check that out. Links to Judy's LinkedIn in the show notes, of course. Also, I'm very happy to say Judy is a Patreon member of mine. For five bucks a month, you get access to weekly videos of how to grow your brand. We talk about it a little bit in this episode. Uh, we also have a monthly mastermind group where we all meet once a month virtually. We keep each other accountable. We talk about what we're all working on. Uh, so it's patreon.com slash Link is in the show notes, five bucks a month. Uh, also, if you're interested in the CRA or CRC academies, we have links to those in the show notes as well. If you are interested in getting more studies for your site, just like Judy was, okay? She became a client of ours. So for a monthly fee, we work on bringing you more studies. Usually we average our clients an extra four or five studies per year. Some a lot more than that, but usually the average is about four or five new studies a year through our efforts. Just text me if you're interested, 949-415-6256. Check out the book, Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. Thank you very much if you have supported it already and gotten it, and if you haven't, make sure you pick it up. It's something that I think everybody in the industry uh, should be familiar with if they are looking to get a career in this space or looking to just learn more about the overall big picture and the big landscape of research. So enough of this introduction. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Judy. And uh, one more thing, text the word GURU, G-U-R-U, to 31996. Good things will happen. Bye-bye. Guru Nation, welcome to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I got Judy Galindo from Sun Valley Research Center in Imperial County, which for those that don't know, it's uh, east of San Diego on your way to Arizona if you go through San Diego. Uh, it's there. It's a good community. You know, Judy, I just got off the phone with an FDA auditor who... Remember I was telling you about the fact that a lot of sponsors are reaching out to me to help them with their diversity to get more minorities involved in research? Did you know what this FDA auditor told me? He told me that it's not just for good optics. The FDA actually demands, like they will mm -hmm. reject a study if it doesn't compromise a certain percentage of all the representation for that therapeutic indication in the country. Oh, so wow. it's more it's more serious than you more. and I talked yesterday. I know <laughs> you're in my Patreon group. I got to give a shout out to that. We have meetings, monthly meetings, but it's more than just what we talked about yesterday. Like it's deeper yeah. than that. And so your clinic, this is a good segue because your clinic focuses on minority, par particularly Hispanic populations uh, over there in Imperial California. So, first of all, thank you for what you're doing. Welcome to the show. 
And uh, can we get like a background of who you are and how you got started in research? Yeah, so I actually started back in 2004 for a sleep disorders clinic in Mira Mesa, which is um, in San Diego County. Uh, I started as a research assistant at the very bottom doing very basic assessments um, at nights with patients. I moved into our call center after that, and then I moved into a research position after that, and then a coordinator position, and then kind of like manager and training all within the same company before I actually left and moved on um, and got the opportunity to start a research center uh, 13 years ago with uh, two doctors in Imperial County. Very good. Um, aside from that, I have a bachelor's degree in biology and psychology. I'm actually starting, actually as of last week, a master's in advanced diet studies in clinical research at UCSD. So right now it's online. Um, and I'm a certified clinical research coordinator through ACRP. Good for you. So a true, a true generalist, like we like to say on this show, like yes. we like to encourage, we don't just say, yeah. we tell you to do it. And then we bring people on like Judy, who you're going to get to know now. We're going to put her on LinkedIn or her LinkedIn profile. How did you go from like coordinating to site owner because a lot of coordinators don't don't make that leap you know how did you go yeah how did you do that actually uh, I had a good um, opportunity so the research center that I was working for in San Diego they actually tried to open a research center in in actually El Centro which is a city next to Imperial with a sleep doctor back at that time uh, nobody wanted to go back and forth and help the coordinator down there train and help with the study. So I actually offered, I mean, I was in college and I didn't have nothing going on. I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to move up eventually. So I offered and I went back and forth from San Diego. I think they would send me like every few weeks to go help the coordinator, help the studies. And at that time, they had actually contracted with the current psychiatrist who's our PI right now at this time. He was a contractor for them um, many years ago. So that's actually how I met Dr. Bernardo Ng. And so after I left that company, I actually reached out to him for a letter of recommendation. And pretty much the rest is history. He, he actually offered me the opportunity to come on board and start a research center, something he's always wanted to do. He dabbled in, but he never had an official research center. And that was 13 years ago. So wow. he took it on. <laughs> how did now he got involved in research how because like it's hard to find a doctor who doesn't have a background in research that like wants to do research usually it takes you and i to convince them right like hey which is what we're trying to do in yuma arizona which we'll save for the end of the video but how did he get <laughs> it started in research um well he actually uh he's you know he's a doctor md and he went to ucsd so he was already involved in research there and then when he actually started his private practice i think that's always something he wanted to bring on a few years before i actually started with him he was already working on studies on his own he had wow. i think a, a coordinator there um someone who's they already had a few studies they worked with a few sponsors but it was never an official like research center they, they did work on a few studies here and there um but that was it and so once i came on board and it took us a few years to finally get established where we started working on studies um then we just grew and and got the contacts experience and that's that's how we got studies so how long have you been a site owner mm, 13 years as of october 2007 Wow. Okay. So yeah. it was really it was going, quick. Yeah. It was right. quick. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah we have a lot quick, of similarities. 
it did take us uh, several years to actually get started. So even though I came on board, um, I didn't really have that background of being a site owner. I actually didn't even know 100% what I needed to do to get a site up and running. So I kind of reached out to my old director of research and we actually worked with a study broker um, from San Diego who actually referred a few studies for us. Um, and then I started doing the, the coordinating on the studies initially. And then we brought on um, one of the staff that worked for Dr. Ng's private practice. She was really interested in research. And she, we actually brought her on part-time and eventually full-time. And she's been our, one of our best coordinators since um, then. But that's kind of how we started. Mm-hmm. And you're in a perfect location. Well, perfect in the sense that there's not very much competition around you. Uh, for those not familiar with the area, it's small in between, like, two cities. Basically, if you don't know anyone there, you don't really stop, uh, until you get to where you need to go. Uh, but that's, like, I've always been amazed by those kind of places, because I think there's just such a huge demand from sponsors for that data. But, so that is, but then you and I talk in the Patreon about how... Sponsors, on the one hand, want more minorities, specifically where you're located, Hispanics, but they refuse to do Spanish ICFs or things to make it practical for uh, a Hispanic to join the study that doesn't speak English. Like, what have been your experiences with this? Um, Yeah, so as you mentioned, I mean, most of the patients we do recruit for our research studies are Hispanic, and they could either be Hispanic bilingual, they speak English and Spanish, so that's not an issue, but then we have a lot of Hispanics who only speak Spanish, and a lot of the older generation um, patient population, so for example, Alzheimer's studies, a lot of times we're consenting the patient and their caregiver in Spanish. Um, So there are a lot of studies and sponsors who have worked with us, no problem, they've given us a consent and anything else in Spanish, but there's a lot of other sponsors and studies that they haven't. Um, they have their reasons. I don't know um, specifically. They just tell us that they they. I don't know. I don't know any exact reason actually why they're they're telling. They do give us reasons that don't make sense. Um, but for us, if you want us to recruit Hispanics in our specific area in our community, we need to be able to have the consent in English and in Spanish and any other materials that the patient is going to complete, whether it's a questionnaire anything else in their language. Um, all of our staff are bilingual speakers, um, our doctors, sub-eyes. Um, we have no problem working with patients and, and speaking Spanish and doing assessments in Spanish. We just need the materials um, to be able to include both English and Spanish speakers. So, yeah, because we've kind of been in the same situation. We're in Southern California. I mean, we have, there's a lot of Spanish-only speakers here and uh you know orange county i mean there's a there's a lot and i feel i find that in like half of the studies they want to they just won't allow it because we do mm-hmm. psychiatry so i think i think a lot of it has to do with what we're in 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 cns because there's a lot of specialized scales and there's a lot of uh publish uh, there's a lot of uh, royalties i guess when they sell those scales like the pants right it's meant to be in english and they have to pay a fee every time they use it so they haven't made one in spanish yet so i you know and it's not as simple as just getting a certified translator to uh translate the pants so i i think there's a lot of those kind of issues with uh psych 
but I, I'm hearing the same thing from other sites too. Not as frequently as Psych, because I think Psych is like the hardest for that. Uh, but there are, you know, sites that have these issues with Spanish, unable to get the e-pros in Spanish, the patient-reported mm -hmm. outcomes. So, like, what what have the sponsors been telling you when you've been at requesting these things? Um, so the last response I did receive, I believe it was earlier this year, and they said that the sponsor, um, uh, there's no, a lot of the scales that we were using for that specific study, they weren't validated in Spanish. And that comment was made to me and our investigator. And he turned around and I was like, I know for a fact that a lot of these are validated in Spanish. So that's not a good excuse, but that's that's all she knew. And, you know, she's just a monitor, of course, and she doesn't know more than that. And there's probably more to it, as you mentioned. There's a financial part of it. There's, you know, trying to get the rights for these um, scales, trying to translate. But this has been the issue for more than 10 years. Like we should, I mean, I don't, say we but sponsors should have taken care of this a long time ago i mean we need to do this what is taking so long <laughs> why um because i i keep i do see all this information about di uh, recruiting diverse patients and that's great we'll do our part but we need them to do their part and whatever we can assist with whatever advice guidance anything i would be happy to do that um it's just we need to start doing it i know we had some um sites that we used to network with in Florida where they also have a huge Spanish speaking population and they didn't even know they were a newer site so they didn't even know that these forms could be provided so they just translated it themselves and the sponsors never even knew that patients <laughs> never spoke English <laughs> and then when we told them no technically you're supposed to ask for the form so I think a lot of that's going on too where the where people at the sites are just frustrated and just doing the translating on their own Right. Yeah, which you're not supposed you're to be not doing, supposed but to. you know. But if you're a new site, you don't even know any you don't difference. Know. Exactly. Yeah. You think it's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you guys do psych, and uh, what what? How have you guys been dealing with uh, COVID right now? Because we're in the middle. For those watching in the future, we're in July 2020. So COVID. Are you doing like uh, virtual uh, monitoring visits or how, like what's going on with you guys? Yeah, so everything's been very slow for us. Um, as of mid-March, um, we pretty much have all the staff working remotely. A lot of our studies were placed on hold by the sponsors. I think there was maybe only one open study at that time um, we were not recruiting for. Um, and then, uh, I would say a few months later, a few of the other studies lifted their hold. And so we have three active enrolling studies at this time. But, and we've been pre-screening, we've been advertising this whole time, we never stopped um, to see if, you know, if we do find potential candidates, eventually we wanted to schedule them. Um, we have a lot of patients who just don't want to come in, they're not comfortable, they want to wait until things get better. Um, there are some that are interested. Uh, we actually finally saw one of our first patients for one of the studies last week, um, but it's a slow process. We're only seeing one patient at a time, following all the procedures in the office, wearing PPP equipment. Um, our research center is connected to our private practice, but we're also, uh, we have a separate entrance. So we're able to have the patient come into the research center only. There's limited staff, limited um, there's nobody in there, just one patient at a time. So it's a very clean office. We, you know, clean it before, after a patient. Um, nobody else is in that office um, during the other times we don't have patients. So um, we make sure we let the patients know that um, so they're more comfortable coming in. But it's still slow. Um, in regards to monitors, we actually have had, I, last week I had one on site for a pre-site visit. 
a few, I think like a month ago, another one came out for a closeout visit, but most of the monitors are more interested in doing remote monitoring visits and even remote closeout visits. Uh, we actually have one scheduled next week. And we're pretty much open to whatever they're comfortable doing. Uh, we do let them know what's going on in Imperial County because Imperial County is different right now. There's a lot of um, high COVID positive cases compared to other cities and counties. Um, a lot of our monitors are outside of um, Imperial County, even outside of San Diego. So they're not very familiar with what's going on. We kind of give them the update and whatever they feel comfortable doing, we kind of accommodate um, to work with them. So your site is a hybrid site, which I think are the best ones where the clinicians are there seeing patients, private practice, and then you have a research associated with that, which is the, I think the best way to set up your site. Has it? It's always been that way, I'm assuming, in your site, right? Yes, it's always been that way. And mm -hmm. give give me kind of like a like for the audience out there, like so that they can understand the size of your company. Like how many staff do you have, and like uh, what what do they do? Okay, um, so aside from myself, we have two. Uh, we had two full time study coordinators. Everyone's part time right now. Uh, we have two research assistants. Uh, we have our PI, several sub investigators. Um, one is a nurse practitioner for the doc the doctor's private office, and then we only use her when we need uh, for research. Then we have a full-time therapist, same thing at the, the private office, and we use them um, as a rater on a lot of our scales for our studies only as needed. Um, but research only, we have about um, five employees. And then I would say the private practice has about another eight employees. Okay. Wow, so it's a pretty good size clinic. And how many studies do you do on average per year? Mm, it varies. Um, I would say between five and eight studies. Um, we have those that are easier and fast recruiters, and then we have those that are a lot harder to recruit based on the criteria. Um, so it just varies. We try to balance it out. Um, so each coordinator could could work on three to five studies at a time. And it just depends. And mm -hmm. how do you? How have you found your coordinators? Because they're really hard to find good ones, uh, yes. especially in a place like Imperial, where you just don't have like the same kind of pool you would have from in LA. I mean, it's even hard here in Orange County, and we're like four million people in a twenty right. square miles. So how do you do it out there? Yeah, it, that that has been hard. But one of our coordinators has been with us pretty much, as I mentioned, for about twelve and a half years. 12 years as once we started, she came over, I think a year after. Um, so she's been with us since. Um, our other coordinator has actually been with us for about five, six years. She's a phlebotomist and a coordinator. She started as a part-time um, research assistant phlebotomist and eventually moved up to a coordinator. Both um, had to be trained on everything that they're working on. They knew nothing about research. They had no training. As you mentioned, there's nothing in Imperial County um, where people can learn about research unless they take an online class or they come from another city that they've been exposed to. So I actually had to train everyone um, from the bottom up. And as we, now that I have a few coordinators, any new people we hire, they get trained more by them instead of by me. Uh, so same thing, research assistant, we actually found her. Uh, she was referred to us by one of our other therapists. I used to work for the clinic and she turned out to be uh, working work out great. She was our marketing outreach person. And then when the in-house research assistant position opened up, um, I moved her in-house. And then she referred the marketing outreach person we have right now. So it, I guess you can say it's a lot of referrals, but everyone still has to be trained <laughs> before they can actually take on any any role. 
Yeah, it's a lot. We've done the same. We've typically mm -hmm. trained from research naive, even here where we have experienced coordinators. There's different schools of thought there, but mine has always been, I don't know what kind of bad habits they've developed from their other clinic. And even if they're not necessarily bad habits at the clinic they were at, it may not fit with what we're trying to do here. So it's always best, I've found, to get somebody practical like a phlebotomist who, you know, you're not going to teach them to draw blood. They already know how to do that. You're just going to teach them research little by little and I think the best way we the, the best way we do it is we have them start filing things in the regulatory binder and then just work their way up from that but then you know you have the source uh, enter data in the EDC all those kind of things. You've got a lot uh, on your plate Judy how do you get studies? Um, so it's a, a, diff, a whole bunch of different ways. So obviously our contacts with the sponsors and monitors, repeat business. Um, there's a lot of monitors we've worked with um, the past several years who keep referring studies. Um, a lot of outreach I've done, clinicaltrials.gov, uh, where you go on there and search for studies, make contacts. Um, I've used your services, which is more recent. Um, but prior to your services, we did work with a study broker before who would refer um, studies to us. Um, so it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of things that we do and just continuing to make contacts. If I see an article about a study and, and I'm interested in that study, I go to their website and I see where I can find a contact and I reach out to them to see if they're looking for sites. Um, I've been doing that a lot more recently, especially uh, with a lot of studies going on right now. Um, yeah, it's a bunch of, it's not just one thing. It's a lot of work to try to get new studies. Do you guys do pediatrics or just adults? Uh, we do, no, so we do children, adolescents, elderly, adult patients. Um, yeah, we work with everyone. Okay, good. Yeah, those are, if you can find like the right clinicians to build a team around for pediatrics, you'll mm -hmm. always be in business because there's there's always a need for those studies and there's just so few sites that can actually do those well, especially right, when you get right. to psychiatry. About budgets? You're negotiating your own budgets? I was. I was for a long time and I do have to say that is not my favorite part, budgets and contracts. Uh, even though I have a background in bookkeeping and I do accounting on the side, I love the numbers, but when it comes to contract and budgets, it's a lot harder. So I've been doing that for a while um, and actually started outsourcing that um, just because of the time. I don't have the time um, to put into it. Cause Are we you doing have to that for you? We're doing yeah, that for you, you, right? Chris is doing that for me on the... the he's good. The few too. He is good <laughs> and he's, he's fast. That's the thing. It, with me, it does take a lot longer because I'm working on a whole bunch of other things. So I don't want that process to be delayed. Yeah, no, he's good. At, we just did a site owner academy on... Uh, PI and CRC justification, so I have to upload that later. Um, that's interesting. So then you're like an entrepreneur. You're pretty much entrepreneur, even though you may not have known it before you got into site ownership, kind of like me. Um, you haven't expanded yet, right? Like, it, were you trying to grow like a bigger site, or I know you and I were talking about Arizona because we're both interested in setting up a clinic there, kind of copying the model you have in another rural type of, well, semi-rural town. Uh, like, what what is your thought process like in the next decade going forward? Like, what do you want to what do you want to achieve? 
Yeah, so that's been a conversation my PI and I have had probably for the past couple of years. And a few years, I think we were interested. We just never um, started out reaching to local doctors. Um, earlier this year, I really wanted to take that more serious and start to find some local doctors who are interested in possibly working with us, partnering up with us um, in other therapeutic conditions where we can bring on other clinical trials. We have the expertise. We have the infrastructure. We just need other doctors um, who have the patients. And getting studies, I don't think would be that hard um, because actually we have an OBGYN doctor we're going to work with that's actually right next to our office. And we actually have a birth control study that we will be starting later this year um, with him. And I was able to list our PI as a, as a PI and then the OBGYN doctor as a sub-I because he has no experience. But because we have the experience infrastructure, we're, we're working with him and ensuring that he's going to do everything correct and how, what he's supposed to. And then at the same time, getting, getting him trained in research. Yeah, that's the way, that's really the way to do it, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of doors that this site ownership opens, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, and I know we talk in the Patreon a lot about that. As far as uh, community outreach, like for patients in your community, right, because you could, you're in a good situation because your, your clinic is associated, your research clinic is associated with private practice, but if you're going to start expanding into other areas, you know, you're still going to need new patients. So how have you been doing that? Uh, you know, what are some strategies you've been using to, uh, to sort of get new patients interested from the community? Yeah, so having the private practice is a benefit, but not a lot of our patients come from our private practice just um, because of the criteria and the protocols. I think more recently, they're more and more difficult, so that excludes a lot of our private practice patients. Um, So we do a lot of advertising. We do a lot of social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, We have someone we actually contract that part with in Imperial County who does that for us, and um, we get the leads on a daily basis. Aside from that, the marketing outreach person that we have part-time, prior to COVID, she was out in the community attending events, going to um, clinics, uh, meeting with various people in the community to kind of educate them about clinical research because that's what you have to do first before you can recruit for these studies. Um, Even though we've been around for 13 years, a lot of people do not know what we do. They don't understand clinical research. So educating the community has been a big part of what we've had to do a lot more recently and I think we realized we really need to focus on before we start recruiting patients and even with um, a lot of the local clinics a lot of doctors do know about clinical research but a lot of doctors don't really know that much or that we were even working on clinical trials in the same community as they were so it's just educating and getting out there getting the exposure telling them what we do what type of studies we have and and being just consistent with that and that's how we we get more referrals Um, So it's a combination, private practice, social media, marketing outreach. It's not just one thing that works. All of those things. All of the above, yeah. And I, you know, (laughs) we just interviewed, we're doing this new initiative with uh, clinicalscoop.com. We're on our, we just filmed our fourth episode yesterday where we bring on doctors and we go on clinicaltrials.gov and we look at studies that they're like specialists in. So yesterday Mm -hmm. we had an infectious disease doctor. So we looked at some coronavirus studies and we went through it and uh, he said, wow, this inclusion exclusion is like very strict. 
And every single mm -hmm. study we reviewed, he said the same thing. And right. I said, look, this is not nothing new to research. This is how it is. And so a mm -hmm. lot of doctors, when we go out and talk to doctors about doing research, they either think it's too difficult, like overly complex, or they think it's overly mm -hmm. like too simple. And right. the truth is like uh, in between because the studies, you know, like you have coordinators, they're doing regulatory. The PI doesn't need to worry about any of that stuff. You just do, you just be mm -hmm. a doctor, all right? But if you're one of these doctors who has like all these patients in their private practice, they're just going to assume, oh, you bring me a schizophrenia study, I see 5,000 schizophrenics every year, you know, but that's not going to translate into real numbers in your study. Because if exactly. you show them the IE criteria, they're going to say, oh, wait, why would they do this? Why is this excluded? Why is this? So this is the way it is in research. It's like a lot of education when you get into the position mm -hmm. that you're in, Judy, where, you know, you got to educate patients, their families. You know, patients go through the same thing. Why don't I qualify? Well, this is why mm -hmm. you don't qualify, unfortunately. And then they think, just like the doctors, that that's ridiculous. But that's the way it is in our business. Mm -hmm. Yes, I completely agree. And I think now with um, COVID, I hope more people are a lot more aware of clinical trials, maybe just an overview compared to how it was before, because now you see so much information out there online, on social media, everywhere about COVID trials or vaccines and stuff like that. So I think people hopefully understand it a little bit better and even hopefully other physicians, providers and stuff like that. And now hopefully we're also trying to use that to recruit more uh, doctors and get more patients and kind of... Um, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll we need, hopefully they come our <laughs> right. way. Both Judy and I have been talking for, since the beginning of the pandemic, actually, so for a few months now, about starting a clinic in Yuma, Arizona, which is like two hour, an hour and a half drive from your clinic right now. Um, mm -hmm. And it's right on the border of Arizona and California, but it has all the demos like that the sponsors like. Minorities, not very much competition. Uh, so that would make it easy for us to get studies and possibly getting patients. But uh, we would like, there's only one psychiatrist in the whole city, or like two of them. And they both work for the county, so they're not really doing private practice. Uh, and so we're looking now at a family practice. So if you know anyone that's interested, if somebody's watching, let, you know, get a hold of me or Judy, because we want to set up a clinic out there just to start doing some clinical research uh, in that in that area. And I've, I'm always looking to diversify too because we're very CNS heavy also, uh, at least for the sites we own. But with our site network, almost none of our clients are CNS. I think you're like one of the like three clients that do CNS in our site <laughs> network. So we're getting all these other studies for all these other indications. And so we want to get, we want to be able to build that out into Arizona and diversify. I think the future is all about site networks, you know, Judy. And yes. you guys, you guys are part of our site network. But there's even like loose alliances of sites. Um, are you using LinkedIn at all? I know we talk in Patreon about this, but we'll have links to your LinkedIn underneath. So let's let's network with Judy. But mm -hmm. have you been using LinkedIn at all for like networking? Uh, not too much. I have it, and I think a few people have reached out to me. Um, but no, I don't. I don't want to. I haven't spent too much time on it. I guess as I should. Um, now they'll know, be but, reaching out. Yes. What about interns? Do you bring on interns like to volunteer? 
You know, I haven't tried that. I've heard that a lot from you and other people. Um, and I think, actually, I did try it once a few years ago with, um, I believe she was a phlebotomist. And it just didn't work out. Um, and since I haven't really, we haven't grown, we haven't really hired anybody else. We have the two coordinators, two research assistants, the marketing outreach. Um, we're okay right now, but I know eventually we're going to grow and I'm going to need to bring on more people. Um, but as you mentioned, I think I'd rather bring on someone who has like a phlebotomy certificate and train that way. Yeah, the MA, the medical assistant externship is good if you don't want to necessarily like hire right now. Um, the MA externs are good because the, these schools will send you their externs. Uh, but what I found is like for every 10 that they send, maybe three might be, you know, show some kind of promise. And then one of those we would hire, you know, for the most part. So you're going to get a lot more people just going through the motions to get their hours and they don't really care about research. Because the first day we're going to have them draw blood, but then enter data in EDC or something like that. Something simple or like fill out a uh, regulatory binder. Um, so, you know, you can tell if like they're actually interested in research or not very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so that works, but it's just uh, you got to go through more of those externs that don't work to actually get one of the externs that do work, that do work yeah. out for you. Yeah. And that, that's kind of great that you do that, but it's also a lot of work for a small site like us. We're not that huge. I don't have a lot of staff. If I had a lot more staff that can take on that responsibility, I would try that. Uh, it's just a lot harder on a small site to bring on someone and then it doesn't work out. It's, you spend all that time training. <laughs> yeah, it's hard even in normal times when everyone's working at the office 40 hours a week or more. But right now with limited schedules, I mean, I know we're only going to sites when there's patients. We don't go to the clinic if there's no patient. Probably you guys too. So, yeah, same thing. you know, you're not going to have time now for the extern. So actually... Right now, I haven't even thought about this, but those externs who are in those schools are going to have a hard time finding their hours right now. Just mm -hmm. another something that I just thought a lot of. going on in clinical research world. Have you done or considering to do one of these co uh, coronavirus studies? There's a lot. Um, there is a lot. And I think we would be interested in doing a, a prevention study. Um, we don't work, you know, because of what we do, psychiatry, CNS, we don't treat patients, we don't see the sick patients like that. Um, but if there's a study that for asymptomatic patients or prevention, I think that would be something um, that would be great for our site and the community too to bring that type of study. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of everything and with coronavirus, like just tons. Yesterday, we're going through the clinicaltrials.gov. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, thank you very much, Judy. I mean, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. We're going to have links to Judy's LinkedIn in the show notes. And just go network with her. She's a good person to get to know. You you go to the investigator meetings usually for your site? Uh, I used to. I used to, but now I, I actually send the coordinators yeah. um, for the most part. And in case they can't go, then I'll step in. But no, not not that much anymore. <laughs> uh, me either. But uh, I think now with the, the traveling, you know, when it comes back, like I'll probably go because I missed going out uh, right. now. So anyways, network with Judy on LinkedIn. Everybody reach out to her. And uh, let's let's all help each other out as sites. Thank you very much, Judy. I appreciate Thank it. You. 
And uh, thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, and we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review, if you could be so kind, please. Uh, And also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.